kind of a skimpy crowd here. That's all right. Um, you know, we haven't done a science fact for a while, and I kind of miss them. So we're going to start today with a science fact. Could you imagine that uh, your body produces 25 million new cells every day? Whoops. Uh, every hour? Whoops. Every minute? No, every second. Your body produces 25 million new cells every second, which means in 15 seconds, your body has produced more new cells than there are people who live in the United States. It's about one and a half billion cells a minute, which means in about five minutes, your body's produced the same number of new cells as the population of the Earth, which hovers around eight billion people. Can you imagine it? No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. None of us can. We can't really imagine that. We can't. We can't imagine it. But we quote this often, Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. And what does the next line say? Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We may not understand the details, but our soul knows right well that an awesome God created us every infinite detail about us. Amen? Um, two weeks ago, after the service, we were out in the uh, foyer, and my wife, Peg, uh, was suggesting, I think to Nate, maybe to me also, uh, that she thought we ought to have an uh, opportunity for uh, testimony, for sharing, that she, I don't want to misquote you, dear, but she said, hey, it's scriptural, and it's beneficial. And so, uh, so we're going to take a couple minutes here today, and, and I'll go first. How's that? <laughs> um, a week ago this morning, Peg and I uh, had just spent our second night up on the Uncompagre, and we were getting ready to leave to come down so we could be at church on time. And Peg probably enthusiastically shared this story with a few of you last Sunday. I, I may have also, but I'll share it here today if you didn't hear it. Um, we had been up there for, uh, well, a day and a half, two, two nights, and, uh, and not a single uh, vehicle had passed our place. That's unusual. A couple of dirt bikes did, and a four-wheeler, I think. Not a single car or pickup had passed by. We got in the, we got in the pickup, ready to go. I turned the key and there was an ominous, silent, nearly silent click sound. And I knew immediately, whoops, we're not going anywhere. And Peg said later, she said, well, so much for making it down to church on time. And, uh, and I quickly uh, started thinking about, hmm, do we have a way to work ourselves out of this jam? And I... This all happened in way less time than it takes to tell it. I looked up, here came a gray suburban uh, 
I, I jumped out, waved, they came in. It was two turkey hunters. They thought they were just late for turkey hunting, but they didn't really know they were kind of on a divine mission to bail us out of a pinch. And uh, I don't think we delayed their hunting by two minutes, literally. Pulled up. And, uh, you know, as I'm putting the cables back in the pickup and climbing in to go, I think Peg and I said in unison, thank you, Lord. Wow. You know, we could have, we could have been here a long time. And as it turns out, we weren't even, we weren't even delayed from our plan by, uh, by a minute or two. And as we pulled away, Peg said, now there's an example of a testimony. That's what she was talking about the week before. Um, I don't want to put anybody under any pressure, and uh, there certainly isn't any, but I think it'd be good if anybody has something on your heart. But what, what is a testimony? It's an example of God's favor, God's faithfulness, God's intervention, God's miraculous hand, uh, God's power, God's awesome might that's been manifest in our, in our life somehow. And uh, so let's just pause for a minute. If anybody has something that they'd like to share, um, please just stand up and speak loud and, and uh, share it. I won't stare you down. don't want to put anybody under pressure. You got one? Go. Grant. Appreciate it. I've shared with people before uh, the uh, somewhat embarrassing situation of I've misplaced something and I've spent quite a while looking for it and, and I tell my wife and she says, well, did you pray about it? Uh, no, not yet. And uh, so we do. And guess what? Turns out. Anybody else? Go, Lee.
Praise God. Praise God. God preserves us. Amen. Guards over us. <laughs> Revelation 12 says, They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. It's important for us to share testimony. It's important what comes out of our mouth because we speak life. Out of our mouth we speak encouragement out of our mouth. Amen? Um, so, last week, uh, right? At, well, you, you may remember, I sort of got volunteered to preach last week while Nate was up here. He said, you'll, you'll preach, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and actually, in talking about it after the service, um, even the topic is, uh, I won't say it's assigned, it's a great topic, but um, we're going to talk this morning about encouragement, um, encouragement of uh, one another and of ourselves, and when we say that, of course, we mean encouragement in the Lord. <clears throat> First, I want to start off and say, why is encouragement important? It is important. Well, it's important to us because uh, we can be a little bit frail sometimes and we can be a little bit short of courage. And encouragement literally means like, I'm going to impart courage to you by what I say to you. I'm going to impart courage to you. I'm going to encourage you rather than discourage you. When I, Let's just say this. If our focus is in the world around us, uh, even in our nation, or in our neighbors, or in our community, um, we're not going to be encouraged, we're going to be discouraged. Alright? Because we live in a pretty grave time, and there's a fair amount of discouraging things happening around us. <clears throat> we need courage to walk confidently. We need courage to stand firm. And... Uh, we need to be encouraged, and we need to encourage one another. We live in a time, and we've talked about this before. Uh, we don't need to turn there right now, but Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. We're living in that time. Just a few chapters later, Isaiah 10. This is 10.1. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions or the actual word is misfortunes that's Isaiah 10.1 I'm just going to tell you that's what we see happening around us I don't know if many of you follow our state legislature our state legislature is basically uh, out of control uh, advancing an evil agenda they're calling they're calling good things evil, and they're calling evil things good. We're, we see this manifest. Now, you may say, Steve, this doesn't sound really encouraging so far. Where, where you go? This is why we need to be encouraged. This is why we need to encourage each other, because we're living in a time. I mean, I think encouragement is always important. It's real important right now, and my conviction is it's going to be even more critically important as we go forward, all right? <clears throat> when I think about this, I, uh, this is a slight detour, but have you ever stopped to think if Jesus 
was alive on the earth right now. Right now. 2022. And I don't mean the Oprah Jesus or the, the Jesus that is, uh, is modestly accepted as a, as a gentle, wise teacher by, by a lot of people in the world. I'm talking about the real Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. The Jesus that Paul preached, the Jesus that Peter preached, the Jesus that said, if any man would come after me and deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If he was alive today and on the face of the earth, I would submit to you that he would be uh, banned from Facebook and Twitter and every other kind of social media. Now just think about it. Wouldn't be tolerated. He'd be accused of hate speech because he called out unrighteousness. He'd be accused of being a misogynist because of the Syrophoenician woman. He'd probably be deemed to be a terrorist because he went in and upset the Money changers' tables at the temple. Just let that soak for a minute. Probably be choose to be a racist, be accused of being a bigot. Now we know those accusations, none of those accusations would be true. But I'm telling you, if Jesus was alive on the earth today, so where am I going with that? If we are his disciples, if we are his bondservants, should we really expect it to be different for us? Ultimately, should we expect it to be any different for us? I think not. Most of you are familiar with this. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3.12. Remember, we're still on the why is encouragement important? Why is encouragement important? sword rebound. It's getting a little it's getting where it needs some help at the binding. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's an encouraging verse this morning but it's true. It's true. And this underscores my point. If we are Jesus ambassadors, if we're Jesus' disciples, if we are following him as we should, that list of things that I said would be the case for Jesus if he were on the earth today will be or will become true for us. I absolutely believe that. We're, we're, we're at odds with the world. Okay? We're at odds with the world. We're not going to blend in with the world. We're going to be completely at odds with the world. 
there's a there's a really important reason why we should encourage each other with testimonies, and I'm just circling back a little bit. When we testify of God's goodness and God's greatness, we're bringing glory to God, and we're pleasing the Father's heart. He loves it. He loves it. He loves to hear it when someone says, this is what God did. This is what my, this is what my faithful father did. This is what he provided. This is, this is what he uh, opened up or restored or or brought back to life, brought from death to life. But let's talk about encouraging one another. Now, I want, to, I want you to go to, uh, right at the end of Deuteronomy, let's, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31. It seems like we end back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30 or 31 real often lately. We're just going to look at Moses encouraging Joshua and the children of Israel. This is this is right at the end of Moses' life. Joshua, or excuse me, Deuteronomy thirty-one. And I'm going to read uh, the first eight verses, New American Standard. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, Deuteronomy thirty-one, verse one. And he said to them, "I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan.'" Is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you? He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them, just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them up before you, and shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. And here it is. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers and to give them, and you will give it to them. As an inheritance, and the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear. Be dismayed. This is just an early example. The reason I start here is because it's an early example of, uh, of encouraging one another. This is Moses encouraging at God's direction both the children of Israel and Joshua who was to lead them in. Let's go to Proverbs really quickly. Uh, Proverbs 12. It's the power of our words. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Isn't that true? Man, people can come just by speaking. And we have, this, we have the power of our tongue in this regard. We have the power to discourage. We have the power to encourage. We can, we can say right words to someone who's anxious, to someone who's worried, who someone is, their, their peace is, is uh, disrupted. And it can be just such a calming influence. Amen? That's what this proverb is about. I want to jump to the New Testament. Um, 
First Thessalonians five. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse eleven. It's a familiar verse. We're commanded to encourage one another, and, and here it is. Here's one of them. First Thess Thessalonians five eleven. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Nate said, you're going to use this one, aren't you? I said, oh yeah. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll start at 23 just so we lead into it. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These are strong admonitions, strong directives. It is, it, it is our responsibility to encourage one another. It's easy for us, I think, to see, well, so-and-so is kind of geared toward encouraging, but I'm more like, I just need to be encouraged. <laughs> I think the admonition of the scripture is, no, we're all supposed to encourage. We're supposed to encourage each other. Will some be stronger encouragers than others? Yeah. Acts 4, Barnabas. You guys remember Barnabas? Son of encouragement. That's what That was the translation of Barnabas. Son of encouragement. He must have been especially noted for it. Like especially noted for it. But, it, but it's, our, it's our role. We should never, we should never be thinking, well, that's for, that's for other people to do. Let's stay in Hebrews a minute, back up a couple... Uh, chapters, Hebrews chapter 3. This one, this one I think I've heard brought forth a few times. Because how many times do we say, how many times have I heard Nate say, what are the two things we're supposed to do every day? This is where that came from. 3.13, Hebrews 3.13. One is take up your cross, but here's the other one. Encourage one another day after day or day by day, as long as it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's no doubt that encouraging one another is uh, it's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're required to do. Let's not be lax about it, ever. I want to move on from encouraging one another. We'll circle back to it, but I want to move on to a somewhat different aspect, which is encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel, uh, 30th chapter. Many of you know this. Many of you know this story like by heart. Here, 1 Samuel 30. You know where we're going. Let me just say, I feel like this topic, uh, this whole topic 
of encouragement is one that is uh, mighty tough to it's mighty tough to tackle this and save 45 minutes or so. This chapter of First Samuel, I think there is a wealth of a wealth of stuff. We're just, but we're not going to have time to get into every bit of it. Let's read together. First Samuel 30. I'm going to start with the first verse. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered each one, because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in his God. This is New American Standard. Many uh, translations say David encouraged himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in his God, the Lord his God, or David encouraged himself. That's the key thing I want to focus on in this story, but, but Back up a second and just picture this. David and his men had been with the Philistines. David had gone over to the Philistines, and there are probably some people that believe uh, part of what happened here was, uh, was some punishment for David for having gone over to the enemy. Um, that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning at all. They... These, these were David's mighty men. He had been given this uh, Ziklag by Achish, I believe. And they left their families, and they went out to battle. They came back, and if you can just imagine, they're on their way home. And the, the picture they have in their mind is home, hearth, uh, seeing their families, uh, being being, being in that safe, restful place, and as they're starting to approach the, the town, what they see is smoke coming up. And they realized, wait a second, something bad has gone wrong here. And as they entered the town, I mean, I'm filling in some detail, but they came and they realized, our families are completely gone. Now notice it said, it said in... Uh, uh, it said in the second verse uh, that the Amalekites had taken them off without killing them. David and his men didn't know that. All they knew was they came back and their families are completely gone. Their homes are destroyed. Their livestock is gone. Everything's gone. And I don't exactly know what David did. If we go to this last part of, of verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Well, it doesn't go into a great bit of detail to say 
Well, what exactly did that look like? How exactly did he do that? I think we can postulate a little bit because I think when we think about strengthening ourselves in the Lord, I think there, there are several aspects of that and I'm not up here to suggest there's a formula to it, but I think there are some key elements that will, would always be in common and I dare say they were for David. First of all, we know David was a, David was a musician, right? There might have been some singing involved. I don't know that. There might have been some shedding of tears involved. I don't know that. I would rather expect that David was recounting to himself God's faithfulness. He's thinking of other instances where, no, you, you, let, me, you let me slay the lion, you let me slay the bear, you let me slay that uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, the same way. Lord, you're faithful. I know the situation doesn't look very good, but I believe your word and I believe that you're faithful and that you're going to preserve us here. He strengthened himself in the Lord. I don't have a like uh, eight point how you strengthen yourself in the Lord. Why is this so important to understand? I don't believe we're going to do, I don't believe we're going to be very strong in encouraging others unless we have encouraged ourselves in the Lord. Amen? That's what we have to, that's what we have to impart by imbuing someone with courage. It's going to go back to, it's going to go back to our own strength in the Lord and what's going to be the common denominator of us strengthening ourselves in the Lord. Well, the first one, I think first and foremost, meditate, meditating on God's word. I have little doubt that when it said David strengthened himself in the Lord, he was bringing to mind promises. He was bringing to mind things that the scripture said. He was bringing things to mind that he knew God had said and he was meditating on those things. We've talked about Psalm 1 a couple of times, mostly the, the very first part of it, but, but, but the next part, or the, the second part of it is, a man who meditates, he delights in the law of God. He delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. That's Psalm 1. He's avoiding counsel of ungodly. He's not standing with sinners and he's not sitting in the seat of the scoffer. But he's meditating because he loves God's word. I, I really believe, and hopefully, hopefully I won't be guilty of, uh, of finding a little too much here in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, but this is a real compressed statement. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I believe he was remembering God's promises. I believe he was calling to mind what he knew were God's truths. I believe he was calling to mind the times he had seen God be faithful. He was calling to mind the times he had seen God miraculously intervene. Amen. And he might have he he might have been doing some worshiping because I think worshiping is is always a gateway into strengthening ourselves with the Lord. 
Teresa, I was remembering a story you shared. It's been about a year ago, I think. I don't know the date. But you shared it one day from up here, and you had just you'd had a tough time. And uh, I, won't, I won't remember the story exactly, and I won't remember um, the, the details. But it ended up with you going to the garage with your guitar by yourself. And, you, and the testimony you had was the change that it, the change that it brought about just going and worshiping by yourself. And I remember having a text exchange with you after that and saying, thank you for sharing that because I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes when our souls distressed or disquieted, that's the most important time for us to worship. And I may have said it from up here once in the past. I think the worship that's the most valuable to the Lord is the worship that is that we enter into when we don't feel like doing it. Not the one where we're all giddy and feeling great emotionally and we're overwhelmed to the point where we just, we just want to uh, dance a jig for a while or something. I think the worship is the one where, where we say, I will worship the Lord. I will worship the Lord. I don't feel very much like it, but I'm going to do it. And you know what I've noticed? You start feeling like it real fast once you start doing it. That's God's faithful hand. We don't know exactly what David did there, but I think it had to involve one or more of the elements of what we're talking about. Let's finish the story. After that, the first thing David did, let's pick up in verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to them, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. So once David had strengthened himself in the Lord, what was the next thing he did? He went and inquired of the Lord. We don't have the ephod here. I think the, I think the, uh, the what, what do we have? We have the word. We're going to go inquire of the word. What does the word have to say about this thing? And we can skip clear down to the end. Let's say, uh, let's say, let's, let's jump down to verse 16. So David inquired, the Lord said, go, go, you're going to prevail and you're going to recover all. It's picking up in verse 16. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land. Who's they? The Amalekites. The Amalekites were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives, but nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil 
or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. Oh man, it's hard to stop on that because there's a... No, I won't. I'm going to jump ahead and point something out. This is for business people here. It's about dividing the spoils. This is not related to the rest of the sermon, but we're in chapter 30, so we're going to point it out. So they went and they brought back spoils, continuing right on from where we left off. And the people said, well, um, the spoils belong to those of us who went down and actually did the work. Because the part we skimmed over here was when they went to, to go get the Amalekites, uh, they had 600. They left 200. 200 people didn't go. They were too tired. And they stayed, they stayed with the baggage. And the rest of the men went down and fought. Later on, when they're talking about dividing the spoil, the 400 thought that they should get the spoil and that the 200 shouldn't. And David said, nope, it's not going to be that way. I'm jumping down to verse 23. David said, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. Who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us. And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. This isn't Steve uh, sticking a little bit of Marxism or socialism into the sermon. I'm telling you, as a business person, I had to grapple with this. We, we did a lot of uh, profit sharing. Company's doing good. Company's making a profit. We're going to share the proceeds of that harvest with people who made it happen. And I often ran in, I, this was a guiding passage for me because I often ran into people who had a different idea about how it should be proportionally distributed. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it was done, uh, you know. In fact, I would, tell, if I would tell one of my managers, this is the pool amount you get to divide among your people. You have 10, 12 people. I better not find out that you took this number and divided it by exactly by 10 or 12 unless you're ready to tell me that everyone's contribution was exactly equal. But, we're, but what's the point of this? We're not going to exclude certain categories of people and say, hey, because who provided the spoil in the first place? Who provided the spoil in the first place? What the Lord has given us. Okay, that was a detour. I apologize for the detour. Now we're coming back to encouragement. I just couldn't resist because we were, we were in chapter uh, 30. When we... are encouraging ourselves in the Lord, I think there's a couple of things that we have to keep in mind. Oftentimes, emotions can be, um, emotions could have the upper hand. I've watched this with people. They're, they're, they're emotionally 
uh, wound up to the point where I would say, you're going to have trouble strengthening yourself in the Lord because you don't have control of your emotions. If the Holy Spirit abides in us, we have control over our emotions. I'm just going to make that statement, right? And the idea, the idea that some type of emotion is a is like a swirling current that just sweeps us away, and that we have no control and we're helpless before it is a, it's not a scriptural idea. And I'm not speaking that to anybody here. I'm just saying, when we if we're going to do business with God, and we're in a situation say as David was here, think, think about the emotional, think about the potential emotions of the situation he was in. It said he and his men, they wept and cried till they, had, till they couldn't anymore. They had to have been spent. They had to have been exhausted just from, just from the overwhelming uh, grief of coming home and finding the families are gone. But David clearly, David clearly didn't let his emotions rule the day. Clearly didn't. I think one of the most important things for us in strengthening ourselves in the Lord is preaching to ourselves. I've heard Nate say it before. Um, and I would say it too, a lot of times you could be up here presenting something and say, hey, I'm preaching myself as much as anybody else here, right? Because this word is convicting. It's convicting to me right as I bring it, right as I bring it forth. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about saying to your own soul, soul, this is what you need to do. Soul, this is what you need to remember. So, what is your soul? It's your mind, your will, your emotion. We can and should preach to our own souls. You say, Steve, what, where in the world did you get that crazy idea? David, Psalms. How many times did David do it? I pulled out three examples really fast. I think there are more. If you look at one that we, that we talk about all the time, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his own soul. He's, he's talking to himself, saying, you bless the Lord. And he recounts why. Because he, the whole psalm, he's just recounting God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's provision. God's protection, God's everlasting mercy to the people who fear him. He just recounts the whole thing. The psalm starts, bless the Lord, O my soul. It ends, bless the Lord, O my soul. I preached to him. He preached to his soul all the way through. In Psalm 42, he questions and exhorts his own soul. Let's turn to Psalm 42 for a minute. I'll have to find the verse. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it starts really in 5. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? 
And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He stops and he preaches to his own soul, his own mind, will, and emotion. Psalm 62, just a few pages on. He commands his soul to rest in God. Yeah, Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul, wait in silence. Preaching to himself. Why is this important? Because I believe it's one of the key aspects of strengthening ourselves in the Lord. Now, I don't want this to sound like uh, strengthening ourselves in the Lord is something we muster up and do. It's just immersing ourselves, just putting ourselves in that place, say, Lord, I'm helpless without you. I need your strength. I need you to encourage me. I need you to impart your courage into my, into my heart. And I'm going to and I'm going to seek your face by worship. I'm going to meditate on your word. I'm going to recall your goodness. I'm going to recall your faithfulness. I'm going to recall your mighty acts. We'll clear back to, the, to when we started a little bit ago. Why do we even have a science fact in the first place? Because it encourages us. It encourages me to think My body makes 25 million cells this fast? 25 million? Every hand clap? God, you're awesome. You're, you're so beyond our ability to comprehend or understand. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm emboldened. I'm emboldened to stand for you. I'm emboldened to speak for you. I'm emboldened to to stick my neck out, if that even makes sense, because, because of who my father is. Because my father spoke into existence from nothing. He spoke it and he made it happen. I think a good part of, a big part of uh, strengthening ourselves in the Lord is just simply reminding ourselves of that. Who's our source? Who do, who do we really belong to? And where is our citizenship? You know, I think somewhere there, even though David was looking at him, back to verse 6, from Samuel 30, even though David was looking at this very, just, I don't even know the right word. He's, he's looking at an unimaginably bad situation. And his own men are talking about stoning him. Like, you led us here. Our families are gone. We're going to just, we're going to take you out. I think somewhere in there, in David's mind, as he's preaching to himself, he says, you know what? Even if this town is burned. And even if we never recovered anything that was taken away from us, God is still 
God. God is still in control. God is still in command. God is still the one who deserves our love, our allegiance. He deserves us to be faithful to him. He deserves us to stand for him. Oh, I think it's about time. Um, you know, as I thought about this topic, I can't help but tie this topic to the little girls whose voice I hear right there. <laughs> when, uh, when Brenda sent out an email uh, about the adoption date moving up and everything. Uh, wow! I, it still gives me goosebumps. Because the testimony was, God, you're faithful. God, you're good. God, you listen, you hear. You give us the desires of our heart. And you answer our prayers. That's the God we serve. We have a lot to be encouraged about. We have a lot to be encouraged about right there. Little Lily. We have so much to be encouraged about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end. I'm going to say, uh, be of good courage. Be of good courage. Amen. Be encouraged. And be like Barnabas. Be an encourager. Not, not just the sponge that needs to be encouraged all the time, but like we read, look to see how we can stimulate one another. Look to see how we're going to encourage one another. We go out of our way to do it. We don't just have it uh, happen by accident. I love you guys. Thanks for your patience. Uh, Brother Rick, I'm going to uh, turn things over to you for communion.